hey, we got a, we got, I'm not speaking today. We got Nathan who's going to come share and continue our better series in the book of Hebrews and take us into uh, Hebrews chapter 10. So, hey, Nathan, thanks. Huh? You want to pray for me? You want me to, I, I would love to pray. Yeah, let's <laughs> pray. Awesome. Father, we pause and um, just pause one more time and, and say welcome to the work of your spirit in our hearts right now through your word. Uh, we long to grow, uh, to hear from you to be challenged and encouraged however you want to speak to us today. I pray for Nathan. Um, you just use him in a special way uh, to help us see the theme in this chapter today, God. Um, for your glory, in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Go for it. Thanks. Good morning. Very happy to see you guys. Um, we are in Hebrews chapter 10. We're in a series called Better. And I don't know what David was thinking asking me to preach this, this passage. This is like the best passage. I feel really honored and privileged. He, picked, he gave me this chapter of all the chapters in Hebrews. And I'm just really excited because this is the one that, I, I, that has had a real impact on my spiritual walk. And it's a really a good, it's an exciting chapter. And uh, I'm hoping I'll be able to share some of that excitement with you. Because sometimes the minute the person starts saying, in the front starts talking about the Bible stuff, some people tune out. So I'm really hoping that my excitement for this passage can kind of transmit over to you guys. And uh, it's a passage that kind of sums up a lot of different things, and that's, that's good. Um, myself, I, did, I have been in the kids' stuff for the past month and, uh, or so, or a bit more than that, so I kind of missed a lot of the, uh, the sermons that David had presented before. So I, I actually caught up on the website. I went on the website and got the podcasts. And if you miss a Sunday, this is really cool. Like, I've, I have it on, I got uh, the iTunes on my phone, and, and I was able to use that to catch up on the podcast. And so there's a lot of stuff that at the beginning of this chapter is kind of recapped in the previous sermon. So if there's something that you wish I would have gone a bit more on or given a bit more details about, then what you can do is go on the website or go on the podcast on, on iTunes and just search Westside Gathering. You'll find, the, the, you'll find it, it and you'll be able to catch up. It's really cool. So that's something to look at, into. Um, today we're going to talk a bit about access. Um, my wife and I are now proud members of Costco. It's a, it's a big change for us. For a long time, we weren't. And, uh, and it was sad because um, we weren't allowed to go. Well, we kind of went anyway, thanks to Corinne and others who would like, like let us go with them or uh, would go and get stuff for us. They would tell us when the sales were on and they would like let us buy certain things. And it, I don't know if you don't know this, but if, you probably do. Costco, you have to be a member to go in. Um, it's like it's this exclusive club, and um, and if you're not a member, even if you are visiting and you're not a member, like you go with someone who is a member, you still like have to pay cash. And there's some things you can't go on the website, for example, and down, and buy stuff from there. There's there's limits, and uh, and access is something you have to pay for in this situation. And it was funny because I, I, we went to sign up and they take our pictures and it's really like it's a very formal thing. And then the minute I have my card, they ask, "Do you want to get the better card?" Like, immediately. Like, we haven't even used the first card. And already they want to sell us the better one. And uh, it's like, immediately. You, and, and then, well, why would I want the better one? Oh, you get this better access to this credit card and these other deals where if you spend a certain amount, you get a certain amount back. And, and then this is, and you're going to definitely be spending that much. And you're definitely going to be getting money back. And, and, and already, it's this, this, try to, this market plan that where they're trying to sell you more 
so that you can spend more, so you can get more. But the whole sales pitch is about you and your special access, your exclusive membership. And they have fancy words for it, like executive membership. And then they, they, you know, and, and they do this, like everyone does this. Like it's the big thing right now in marketing. If you have a phone, if you're with a certain company, you get like exclusive deals to like movie tickets or something or, or exclusive songs online for free. If you're, you know, you're part of a cable company, you get to have uh, access to the right websites that allow you to like watch the things online, which you were not allowed to watch otherwise or well, legally <laughs> anyway. Um, and, and, uh, and you also have this, you know, like you have, the, you know, even in like airports, right? They've been doing, air, airlines have been doing this forever. You get to the airport and you have to sit on the crummy, like not comfortable chairs. And you watch these people that had like this special access, like walk by you into this nice lounge where they have like coffee served to them, you know, with, with by people wearing towels on their arms. And I mean, it's, it's a really strange world, but it's how the, it's how kind of this, it, it, it's how the world works. And, and these access, this kind of access, you always have to buy. You have to spend money to get this access. And that's good. That's because that's how they get their money. But there's other forms of access that, that you have to earn. Like my wife uh, is now for three months. She's told me she told me to, 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 to be very precise about this. She's big on to Virage sale. It's like this thing on Facebook where you sell stuff that you own. Um, and you make money for it, and it's like a garage sale, but online. But she's been a top member for three months now. And I was just going to say she was a top member. She really wanted me to tell you it's for three months. Like, it's like a, it's like a, like you get, and you to do that, you can't, you can't buy that top member status. You have to actually do a certain amount of transactions and get approved of by other people. And then you get this like special thing next to your name. And it's like this exclusive status that you get. You know, it's, and that, we like that. It makes us feel good about ourselves to have this kind of status. So you have access that you can buy, like the Costco stuff. You have access that you can earn. And then you have access that you can only get if you know the right people. Um, when I was uh, meeting Steph's parents for the first time, they were still living out in BC. And they took me on the set of a, of a TV show he was working on. So here's me at this, on the set of Stargate. And I, haven't, I don't really know the show. I haven't watched it or anything. But I got to visit the set. And no one can go to the set. You can't just walk in. There's security guards. There's people who block the door. You can't just kind of, I guess there might have been a way eventually to have like a, to pay someone to get in. But like, it's not something that you can just get in. I got to go in because my father-in-law works there. So I was able to just walk in with the guy. So it's, that's the way relationship, relationship gives you access to places that you can't necessarily get into. It kind of, it kind of uh, it, you know, the relationship is something that, that allows you, that it's, it's better than, it's better access than if you just um, paid. It's better access than what you earn. It's a special access that comes only from knowing the right people. My, my dad tells another story of this, like another example of this. He used to work at a, he used to work at a, um, at, at a Bible college and he had an office and his office had a door, and his door was closed usually. And, and the thing about his, door, his closed door is that, you know, like any student would have to, if you want to go see Professor Watley, you have to knock on the door and go in. That's how it works. That's how you get access to a prof's office. You have to get permission to go in. Um, there's all the students, every single one of them would always knock to go before they would, you know, be let in. I wouldn't. When I was a student there, I had total access. There was one student in the school who could go in whenever he wanted, and it was me, because I was his son. And I studied there, but I was his son, so I had access because I was the son of the father who was also the professor. I didn't have to 
ask permission. You know what? It never even occurred to me to ask permission. In my state of mind, like, it's my dad. I'm not going to knock before going in. I mean, if there was someone inside, maybe to be polite, but it, didn't, it never occurred to me that I should knock because he's a professor. He's not a professor. He's my dad. Relationship gives access. And that door is, I, I think, a little bit indicative of how some of us see God. Some of us really feel like we can go directly in to God's presence without knocking. Some other of us feel like there has to be something we need to earn or pay or buy or something to get to God. I can't just walk in. There's something I have to do first. I have to do something churchy. I have to act a certain way to get in. Otherwise, I can't get in. Today in Hebrews 10 and, and previously in other, in other chapters, we've talked about how God has given us access through Jesus to the Father directly. It talks about how God has opened up the door, opened up the access to us through his son, Jesus. And um, all the previous chapters seem to have dealt with, you know, who Jesus was, how he did what he did, what he did, how great, how better he is than the other ways to God. This one starts talking about who you are, who we are as followers of Christ, what God does for us in our hearts, who, what our access is like, what, what we have become, what kind of members we have become. And I think this is something that, that we don't always get. I think our membership idea, the way that we, we view God is very much a membership type of, 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 uh, of view. We, we, we we're kind of tainted and, and, and polluted by the world in this way. We're used to a certain type of access and certain type of membership system and God has a different one, and we don't quite get it. What we think often, and this is true, I think that we, let's be silly, and let's imagine that God has a membership program. We, this is how we view it. We often view like God has like these different levels. He, he, God has like, in our minds, sometimes, I think we believe that God has like a classic membership. And the classic membership is for those who go to church occasionally, who are good people, who do nice things, uh, well, some, you know, they, they'll, they'll make sure they're there on Easter. They make sure they're there at Christmas. They do the things that are supposed to, they're supposed to be doing. And they get a certain access to God from this. Occasionally, they can, you know, say, hey, I go to church. They can say that. And that gives them a certain, like, status that goes with that. And they feel like, you know, God can speak to them occasionally. And, and that's their classic membership to God. That's their, their, their starter level. And they, you know, they, they, they do it, you know, everyone gets this. The minute they get through the door, you, they give you the classic membership. It's like the, it's like the, hey, you're freebie, you're in, here, welcome. It's like, you know, the bank has their basic one that they have, they have to have a fancy word for it. They use classic or, or gold for some reason. I don't know why gold starts, but anyway, it's classic. And then you have like the better Christians, the ones who are a bit more committed, who are there every Sunday, who they get like the platinum membership. I mean, I know this is silly. I know this is not how it works, but I think this is how we, in our minds, we view, we view this. And I've, and I've heard this in the church, not necessarily with these words. I'm kind of being a bit silly in the way I'm presenting it, but it's true. We have this idea that there's these other Christians who these are the platinum members. These are the guys who are there every Sunday almost. And they, you know, they might be part of a community group and they, they might be doing like uh, kids stuff and they're, they're, they're more involved. They're committed. You know, they tithe, they give their money. Like, these are like the real churchgoers they are the platinum members. And, uh, and we see them, you know, they have a different status. We have this kind of different mentality about them. Oh, look at that. That's a, that's a really committed Christian right there. And then we have like the super platinum elite members. 
And these ones, oh, these ones are up in front. They're the ones that are on the leadership teams. Like God speaks through them. Maybe they might be paid to be doing, doing Christian stuff. They, they, they've been walking with the Lord for a long time. They can, like, you know, they can do all these amazing things. You know that they've, they've given their lives to God. They've done mission trips and stuff. Like they, they get like the extra access to God. God speaks to them. If you're a classic member, man, well, yeah. but if you're a super platinum elite member, man, God's got your back. And, we, and, I, and I, I know that this mentality is here because we've talked to pe- I've talked to people and they're like, oh, you know, Nathan, you're not really, you know, we're not, just not on the same level as you guys. And that word level, what does that mean? We're all saved by Christ. We're all forgiven by Christ. Since when is someone higher than someone else? Since when is, yes, there is such thing as Christian maturity. There's people that can grow in faith and develop their gifts, but it doesn't mean they have any better access to God than someone else. Through Christ, we all have access to God. And I think that even this morning, some of us have probably fallen to the trap of thinking that. You know, they, they look around them and they, they were doing worship and someone's singing with their arms in the air and, and you're like, well, why don't I ever get anything out of worship? That person seems so like, into this and I don't, I have the song going on. I, I don't get this. I don't understand what's going on. And they have their arms in the air and their eyes are closed and they feel like God's connecting with them personally. And I don't, I, I, maybe they're on a different level than me. Maybe they're like platinum members. I, maybe I'm not there yet. Or, they, or, they, or they, you see these people like having this, these great laughs and talking to each other and you just don't feel as connected to the people in the church and you're like, well, maybe, maybe these people are like platinum members. They've, they've given more. They've earned a better status so they get something more out of the kingdom of God because of it. Or then maybe they're, like, they're feeling like they're the super platinum elite ones. Oh, wow. All of this great insight that this person says when he speaks to me. Man, God must speak to them directly. God can speak to all of us directly. We have this mentality, this, this, these, these tears in our mind. And I think that a, the, there's a reason for that. I think the reason for that is that we've, we've kind of forgotten, you know, we've, we've kind of forgotten who God has called us to be. And... Um, and there's these obstacles. And, and one, one theologian put it this way, and I, I really like how he put it. Um, he says, we cannot help but entertain the thought that we are more likely to be playing at being a Christian rather than being one. I'll read that again. We cannot help but entertain the thought that we are more likely to be playing at being a Christian rather than being one. Sometimes we have this opinion that everyone else is doing great and for some reason, there's something wrong with me. And everyone else is on a different level than I am. I only got this low membership here. There's something that's wrong with me. And I, I think we're all, we all share this. And none of us are saying it out loud, but we all share this. The funny thing is that everyone else is thinking the same thing. And maybe if you shared it out loud, they'd be like, yeah, me too. I'm having troubles with that. But we're, we're really, you know, we really have this, this mentality at times. And, and there's a reason for that. And I think it's because our daily experience, our human experience, is often very disconnected from our Sunday morning experience. We have this, this day-to-day working life where, where, or in family life where we're snappy, greedy, selfish, drunk, lazy, overeating, etc. And we feel like that's the real me. And the one on Sunday is a good show I put on. It's my Facebook status for Christians. And, and I think that there's something that needs to change about that. And I think Hebrews 10 offers that better view of ourselves that we need to hear. 
It gives us a fresh look, and we need this. We need to know that our membership is not tied in to what we do or how much we spend. Our membership is tied into what Jesus did for us. So the question is, what's what's your membership? Where do you find your basis for who you think you are? What we're going to do, we're going to go to Hebrews 10. So if you have your Bibles with you, it's worth grabbing. I'm going to, I'm going to start, it, the way I've done it is the first, the first half of the chapter is a lot of stuff that has been said before and that, that, the, that, the, uh, that the author is reusing and bringing back again. So there's a lot of verses that might sound familiar to verses you've heard earlier. So I'm going to kind of go faster over those, but I'm going to take a lot of time on the second part of, from verse 19 onwards. So I'm going to kind of just sum up where we've come from really quickly. Um, and if you feel like I'm going too quickly over this part, then go onto the podcast, catch the bit about it earlier, and, and then we're going to get really into the, the, the heart of the matter of what God has made us now. So, first of all, chapters 10, verse 1, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Now, there's a lot behind this passage. The whole idea of the law is something that we're not very familiar with. But one way to help us understand it is that the law was how the people who were reading this book saw how they connected with God. And if we do that, if we, instead of putting the law, we, saw, we put the word religious practice, I think it helps us understand it. So the religious practice is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. So for someone who's coming to a church on a Sunday morning and has... Um, no real experience with what's going on. They might see people standing, sitting, listening. Uh, if you've been to a, a Catholic church, there's a whole set of like of kneeling and repeating. And, and all these things are good. They might remind us of who God is. They might have a, a the, God, they please God in some way. But at the same time, it's only a shadow of the good things that are happening, the real reality that's going on behind the scene. It's almost like a shadow puppet show. I don't know if you guys have seen that before. Where you have like a curtain and you project from behind and you can do like little animal heads and stuff. You, you, the real action's happening behind the curtain, but what you see is what's actually happening in, in the curtain. And like we have communion later and communion is it, like the, the nutritious content here is, is limited. You couldn't have lunch with this. But... There's a spiritual thing happening behind in our hearts that actually matters. So, the, the, so what we have, um, what we have doing, what we're doing, the, the coming to church every day, every every day, ooh, that'd be a lot. Uh, the coming to church every every Sunday and the, the the religious practices we do, they're good, but you can't just do them over and over again and expect real change. There's something that has to happen on the inside that God has to do behind the scenes and that God wants to do in your heart specifically. And, that, uh, and, and what we do over and over again doesn't get us forgiveness from our sins. It's not what allows us to, to come towards God. You don't earn your way into a gold membership by repeating church over and over again. Like, it's not how it works. There's a different, there's a different approach. And that comes from verse, you know, that's like, more in verse 9, where, where the author starts really getting into that. And in verse 9, it says, Then he, talking about Jesus, Then he, Jesus, said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. So God, Jesus said this to God. He said, I'm going to do it the way you want it to do. God, I want you, I'm going to do it the way you want me to do it. Then he says, He sets aside the first the religious practices to establish the second. So Jesus brings a new way, a better way. 
And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So the new way, the better way that Jesus brings forward is through his sacrifice, through his practice, through his laying down of his life, our access has changed. Our, who we are, we are being made holy through what Jesus did. We've been set apart, set apart by God. And, and then and I, what I really liked is the word once and for all. And that's going to be in verse, um, that's going to be, I think that's it, yeah. Through the once and for all, very at the end of the verse there, verse 10. It's done. So who we are has been changed and we did nothing to do it. We have done nothing. It's God accepts us through the sacrifice of Jesus. It's kind of like me being able to walk into my father's office I did nothing to earn that right. I just was born. In the same way, God wants us to be able to access him through Jesus because God has made us holy through Jesus once and for all. We don't have to do anything to get there. That's huge. And we don't realize that because we feel like we need to do all these things first to get to God. No, the access is there through Jesus. Again, in, first, in verse 14, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This is really hard to believe. Again, because of that sin that creeps into our lives, we have the impression we do something, we do something bad or we don't do an action and we're, or we're lazy or some, something in our life doesn't line up with how we'd like to be. And, and, and we say, oh, I messed up again. I'm such a lazy, mm. or I, I did this. I'm such a terrible, mm. and we kind of finish that sentence with whatever bad word or bad image that we've planted on our own minds. And we say, this is who I am. But the, this verse says the opposite. This verse says that we've been made perfect forever. God sees us as perfect when he looks at us. And that's really hard to get. Because the minute we look at this, we start feeling guilty about ourselves. And we start feeling like we've, we've not been... Um, We've not measured up. This verse, if we believe it to be true, rewrites who we are. Isn't that big? It rewrites who we are. This verse means that our sins are taken away. We've been forgiven forever. Verse 17, their sinless and lawless acts I will remember no more. God holds None of our sins against us anymore. We've been completely forgiven. We're blameless before God. He's forgotten them. What kind of access can we have now? Isn't that, isn't that something amazing? So, so now that this, if we believe this, it changes what kind of access we have to God. And as, as, it, as it changes our membership, it also changes our membership privileges and this is where it gets exciting for us, and this is where we're going to get into really the whole passage, and I'm going to read a whole bunch, and please bear with me. I'm going to try to use my best reading voice. Um, and we're going to go from verse 19 to the end, and we're going to see that what the author says, how we should live now that we've been forgiven. And this is, I think, really exciting. So verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, 
having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and he will not delay. And by my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. I feel like I could end right here. I won't, though. I have a few more things to say. But I feel like this passage is like a fantastic sermon in its own. And um, that last line, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved, I think is just such a powerful line. Because it's, it's an identity line. It tells us who we are. Who do we belong to? We don't belong to those who shrink back and are, and are destroyed. We belong to those who have faith and are being saved. It's who we are. God has changed who we are. We belong to that group. God has moved our place of belonging. This is, I, I mean... It's hard to understand this because often when you belong to something, you belong to it for a long time. But I, I think I, I'm, I'm a teacher, so I, I kind of see it a little bit every year. Like I have students who, come, who, who are part, part of my class. They belong to my class. They're in group 401. They do their stuff with me all the time. And they, uh, um, you know, they'll, they'll come talk to me at recess. They'll tell me how their, how their weekend was. They'll come see what I'm doing. They want to tell me about everything. They, they ask me questions. They, you know, they, they kind of bug you. I have to kind of shoo them outside to go to recess sometimes because they just want to talk. And they have so much to say. And I'm their teacher. I'm part, I'm, they belong in my class. They, they have this sense of belonging there. Then in June, the bell rings, the school year is done, and they go on holiday, they come back, and they'll say hi to me, but they're no longer in my class. And the whole relationship changes. They no longer belong to me, so they don't come bug me anymore. It's weird. I have kids who were with me every single recess that I was outside doing on duty, watching. They always would come and bug me. Always, every single recess, they'd at least come and, and talk to me about something. And then the following year, nothing. I'm like chopped liver to them. Like they just gotta, I have no, they have no desire to talk to me anymore. I'll talk to them. I'll, I'll, I'll be like, hey, how's it going? And they'll be like, good. 
Like, I don't get the information about their weekend. I don't get the information about all the stuff that they did and, you know, how their summer went. And they just, I'm no longer their teacher. The, the, I don't, they don't belong in my class anymore. They belong somewhere else. And, and in their mind, it happens very quickly. Like, it's the old guy. He doesn't talk, I don't talk to him anymore. And, and I think that this is maybe a bit of an image that helps us understand who we belong to. We don't belong to those who fall back and are destroyed anymore. Through Jesus, we are belong to those who believe and are saved. And this change of belonging creates in us a new confidence that we can go towards God because that's where we belong now. And you know, verse 14 says, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And this is a really cool sentence, but at the same time, it shows, again, that we've been, we've been transformed. We've been made perfect forever. God has changed where we belong. But there's still that question of sin, right? And this is where it gets kind of confusing because made perfect forever sounds like it's done, like it's finished. And the being made holy sounds like it's happening. So you kind of have both things going at the same time. And, you, and it's almost like my daughter, when she eats a meal, like she'll, she'll be like, I'm done. And then you take, go, take, go to take her food. And she's like, no, I'm not done. Like, what, what is it? <laughs> what are you telling me here? The two messages. But, and, and often we feel like, is that what God's doing here? He says that you're perfect, you're done. But then also he's going to make you holy. So there's, there's like this process going on of God forgiving your sins. And then, well, wait a second, you still need to work on stuff. And that's not easy to deal with because you kind of want to be done. And you don't want to have to work on the things that are really hard for you to work on, like the sin, the things that in your life that you know you want God, God wants you to change. But it's there. And I think a way to understand this is to think of maybe all the Hollywood movies you've ever seen. I think in Hollywood movies, you know how it's going to end. The good guys win. The bad guys lose. The dog survives. Like, like that's kind of like the storyline ev- for every single Hollywood movie. Pretty much. Like, there's a few exceptions out there, but that's it. And I think our story, our ending has been rewritten through Jesus. We are made forever perfect in him. So that's the ending in mind, and that's where God's going with us. In the process, God wants to transform us and change us and make us holy. There's, There's sin that he wants us to deal with. And I think that the first reaction as humans, when we hear it's done, God's taking care of it, is, oh, great, I can go do whatever I want now. And, and then sin kind of creeps in. And that's why in this passage, there's this whole section that seems, seems almost threatening. It says, you know, if you continue sinning uh, deliberately, then no sacrifice for sins is left. You're just going to have judgment. And you're like, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? And you start doubting, well, am I really saved? I've done this sin this week. Am I, am I really going to be okay? Am I, am I, am I going to be forgiven? I think the fact that you already know the ending, that God has forgiven you forever, kind of lets you know, it lets you in on the secret that, yes, you're going to be okay in the end. But it doesn't mean you should go and do whatever you want and go into whatever sin you want because God wants you to change and grow. And there's that cool verse that says that there's a promise that, Jesus, that God has given us. And uh, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And, and there's that whole idea of, well, if I don't do it, will I not get what I'm promised? Is there a threat behind that? But this passage is well written. If I was just to preach on this, it would sound that way. But if you look at before and you look at after, it talks about holding on to the assurance the certainty that we have at God. And then it finishes with that verse that I said earlier that says we don't belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. So this, ver- this passage is to explain to the people who are reading it, there are some who will fall back and are destroyed. There are some who will fall back and will get... And I, I remember my, one of my mentors growing up kind of just left the church. 
And I didn't know what to do about that. And this passage helped me understand, you know what, there are some that God, um, that will hear about God and even accept the message of God, but then turn away and do other things. And, there, and, and, and God will, will deal with that. But you, if you're hearing this message, hold on to the assurance and hope you have. If you're in this room today, I don't think you're in the shrink back and be destroyed because you're here. <laughs> and I think that's part of what the, the, the author is saying too, is you're reading this note, you're not gone yet. If you feel like you're slipping, if you feel like you're, you're, you're falling away, what do you have to do? Well, it says to, to remember. There's a whole section where he talks about remember the time that you were before. Remember where you were before. Remember those earlier days after you received the light. Remember how you lived a life full of Christ. Remember those days. So there, there's, a, there's an element of remembering that has to happen. You have to think back of where, where you were. Don't slip away. Remember what you've lived. Remember what God has done for you. Hold on to that. Don't get caught in the game of second-guessing your faith. Don't jump into sin, but live in the forgiveness that God offers because it's who you are now. God has changed you. However, and this is where we get to the, near the end here, however, some, for some of you, oh, what time am I at? Okay, I need to, okay. So, yeah, I don't have my watch. I'm kind of throwing me off. But, so for some of you, and I'm just going to finish really quickly with this, is some of you don't really get the whole thing yet because the membership part that I said at the beginning still hasn't really sunk in. You feel like, I, I, don't, I don't know if I've really changed because I don't really know where I'm at with God. And I, 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 like the, I have that door thing. I'd like to be able to go through it, but in my heart I haven't felt it yet. I feel like I've, I'm starting to believe that Jesus did die for my sins, but I haven't lived it yet. And this is where there's a passage in the very middle that I think brings us really a clear, gives a really a clear idea of what to do. So starting at verse 22, we're just going to finish with this. And it brings us uh, uh, this one passage that kind of gives us a list of how to react as, as you come to understand and believe this. So it says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards life and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. So there's four things that I kind of put in blue, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Those are like four ways to react to this. So if you haven't felt like God has really gotten your attention, like you don't feel like you've been forgiven in the way that you would like to be, if you don't feel that, that you have that access to God yet, the first thing is to start drawing near to God. That's the first aspect I think is really important is to to do that sincerely with your heart. I like the word sincere in that because they don't want you to come with your show. He doesn't want you to come with your fancy words. He just wants you to come and express to him where you're at now. Because God wants you, not the pretend you. He wants you, all of you. So draw near to God with the full assurance that Jesus has given you that access. From there... It says to have your heart sprinkled to remove the guilty conscience and also to have your bodies washed in pure water. Now this is an, uh, an image that is very present in the, in the early church and that's the image of baptism. And baptism, this is my baptism. Um, I was 16 at the time and, um, and that's my dad. So it was a special moment. And, um, but that baptism was a turning point for me. It's where it stopped being about uh, I'm not so sure. I'm not, I don't know where I'm at yet. 
to being, okay, I, I've died. My old life is dead. My new life in Christ has started. It's, and it's the way in the New Testament that God asks people to respond to this belief that God has forgiven you. You live that forgiveness through baptism. It's a way to, to, to live it out, to express it to the world, to, and mostly to yourself, that your, your old life is done and your new life has started in Jesus, that you no longer belong. The old life is dead in the water and the new life has come out. And there's a baptism class coming March 17th. And even if you're not sure about getting baptized, if you're not baptized, as we believe as, as Anabaptists that it is important that it's your mature adult, adult decision. When you really believe that, it's ta- that, that, you, that you've been forgiven for your sins, this is the response. This is how you show God that it's time. I'm going to follow you. So it's something to consider. March 17th, mark it on your calendars. Come talk to Connections or to David or to someone about that because I think it's, it's something that, that it's a turning point in a lot of people's lives. So, so yeah, very important. And then finally, from there, hope. Your whole mentality should change about what life is about. You know how the ending is going to be, so, you're, so, so let your heart dwell on that. Hold on to that hope. Then stay home. No, I was kidding. Actually, go to church. Come back. Because this church is not a religious practice so that you can be saved. It's a place where you can encourage one another towards good works and love for one another. Your whole mentality for doing the religious practices changes when you know that you're called to come and spur one another on towards good works. And it says, don't give up meeting together. Because we believe that you can't do the love and good works by yourself. You need a team. You need a, you need a family to do it with you. So that's how it works. And, but, and finally, just remember this one verse, because I think this is the one that sums it all up. So if you were to forget everything else I said today, remember this last one, and I think it's really good. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Thanks, guys. God, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We can celebrate in your presence. We thank you that you have made us holy through the body of your son, Jesus Christ, his broken body for us. God, we thank you. We thank you that though for centuries, for centuries, priests around the clock, continual sacrifices, God, the shadow of what was to come, but they never sat down. But Jesus, your son, our high priest, sat down. God, may we revel in the fact that we all have access to you fully through Jesus Christ. God, we go with this truth in our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.